I'm Dr. Jill Wiener. I'm a white woman, a doctor, a meditation teacher, a tapping practitioner, a writer, and I'm an aspiring anti-racist, an identity which I must constantly strive towards, work on, and reevaluate. This podcast amplifies the powerful voices of women and men in all aspects of the anti-racist space, from healthcare to spirituality to criminal justice, to provide a nuanced, honest, and educational examination of systemic racism. And I'm so excited to have Patricia Ramirez Pinkney here with me today. She's the co-founder of Rima Strategy and Marketing, which provides C-level big company strategy to medium and growth stage ventures. Her signature approach combines her brand development experience of Fortune, 5, Fortune 500 companies and nonprofit organizations with a deep understanding of cultural nuances cultivated through decades of work with leading emotional intelligence and multicultural experts. Patricia, thanks so much for joining me. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you for having me, Jill. So um, Patricia and I met uh, in, a, in a, a, like a group meeting. Um, we kind of locked eyes across the, <laughs> across the Zoom room and decided to, to chat. And, and Patricia, one of the things that, I, that I'm so drawn to about what you do is you're just, um, you're very clear commitment to the work that you do um, and to, and to um, bringing the perspectives and voices of, of your culture into mainstream advertising and marketing uh, where, where it has every right to be and is long overdue. So can you talk a little bit about the work you do and how you got into this specific space? Sure. Well, I, um, I am Mexican, I am Latina. So I, I grew up with my own culture, of course, but my family of origin grew up in the United States. My, my grandfather wa- went to Georgia Tech and, and he graduated as a, as a mechanical engineer. He was probably the first um, Latino and, and he was in, inducted into the um, Engineering Hall of Fame. You know, so he then came back to Mexico. He's Mexican, my grandmother is Mexican. They came back to Mexico. But we grew up with both cultures because they grew up in the States and they went to school in the States. We grew up with both cultures and we navigated, um, you know, some American traditions and some Mexican traditions. So that is one of the characteristics that Latinos have in general. We are the only, I'm gonna say the only, in the majority of um, and bicultural segment of the population. And that means that we are not bicultural, but ambicultural. And just like you have, um, you know, we, we can navigate both. We are 100% American and 100% Mexican. We, we feel that way. So Latinos are in general unifiers. And the way I started to look at research is that I work as a, as a fractional chief marketing officer for different companies. And my clients, not because I was Latina, my clients started to, um, to demand or to need specific strategies for this new multi, I like to call it the, 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 the new mainstream, which is multicultural. And Latinos are 19% of the population, almost 20% of the population, followed by our African-American brothers and sisters who are 13% of the population. So Latinos are the biggest minority in the country and multicultural people are 40% of the population. So it's no longer a segment, a niche. It is part of the mainstream. And we're seeing that today 
in business and we're seeing that in, in, in the social changes that are starting to be very obvious. I think the pandemic helped to make them obvious. So that's how I, how I started to look at research and, and then seeing numbers that were very eye-opening even for me. That's so interesting. You know, I, I was, I, I put out a, my last week's, um, the one that came out last week, uh, we're recording a little bit in advance of when this is going to be published, but um, no, two weeks ago. Anyway, uh, it, I, I mentioned something about underrepresented minorities, which is the word that had been used, I, I believe, by the woman who was uh, uh, also Latina woman. But someone commented on it and they said, hey, I, I believe that underrepresented minorities is now kind of considered offensive because it's kind of blocking everyone into one group. And I looked it up and I was like, wow, that's so interesting. And, you know, changed the languaging on it and, and did my best and do my best to not use that term anymore. <clears throat> and it's so interesting that you're saying now, like bringing up the point that's super valid. It's not even, I mean, it's sort of a minority, but like. There is a huge, you said 19% of the population and multicultural 40%, like you're saying it's mainstream. There's not, this is not a small pocket of our population. So I, I love that you brought that up and it's important for us to realize that. Um, so how do you, how do you, how, how did you, like, do you still do regular marketing stuff or is everything you do more towards cultural, um, I don't know how, like, yeah, yeah, or, or, or branding or, or how, how you would, how would you define that? You know, my career has always been marketing and strategic planning. Mm -hmm. um, but it's, everything is changing, Jill. I think right now we have the opportunity to rebuild a new way of doing business and a new way of, of relating to each other, which it, I'm really, really excited about this opportunity. Um, so even though I have been always in marketing and strategic planning, uh, organizations have the need to, to attract workforce, for instance. Right now, we know there's a shortage of workforce, for instance, in the, in the um, food industry or in many other industries. And we hear also that through the pandemic, a lot of the people that were okay with their, with their jobs, started questioning certain things, their well-being, their, their human development in an organization, et cetera. So my work is starting to gravitate towards human resources, mm. not only because they want to apply this cultural intelligence to their employees, their suppliers, their clients. You know, it's not all, all it's not, clients anymore, customers, potential customers, but 40% but of the population are your employees, your providers, your, your um, people at the government that you need to deal with to get your permits, etc. So building this, this understanding of different cultures is imperative to the well-being of businesses and the well-being of the economy. More so, and it's going to get it's only going to get to be more and more important because you mentioned that we are 19% of the population or we discussed that. But if you think of millennials, 21% of millennials are Latinos and 25% of Gen Zs are Latinos and 30% of children under 10 years old are Latinos. 
Oh, wow. So it's only going to get to be more important to, to understand each other. And the good news is that Latinos are unifiers and, and you know, I, I think that what's good in this inclusivity, um, in, the, in this approach of inclusivity um, and diversity, of course, is that it's not a pie. <laughs> you know, this world is not a pie. We can make a bigger pie. I mean, we don't have to take from each other. We can just build something better together. And, and that's, I think, what's going to happen naturally. Hi there, Dr. Jill Weiner here. This podcast is sponsored by Conscious Anti-Racism, my online course with Dr. Maisha Claiborne, created for listeners like you who are eager to learn practical tools that will help you find your place in the fight against systemic racism. We even have a CME accredited version for healthcare professionals. Visit ConsciousAntiRacism.com for more information. Now back to the episode. Do you have people who, who hire you and then resist what you want to tell them or oh, but don't really want to hear it oh absolutely absolutely and you know what i think it's natural mm-hmm. you know i think it's natural because we see the world and you know this um because you teach meditation and you talk about it of course i'm preaching to preaching to the choir here but we we see the world with our own through our own perception through our own reality we usually have to have a reference to what you're saying, and I relate to what you're saying, even if I'm being um, a good listener, I pass it through a filter of my own experience to try to understand yours. And if you don't have a reference for what I'm saying, you're going to adapt it to your, to your experience. So I think what I see an opportunity in these diversity and inclusion talks to try to build these bridges of understanding each other from our different reference points. So yes, I, I, I find people resisting when they feel that inclusion means that they are wrong. You know, nobody wants to be wrong. It's, it's like a natural human being reaction. I don't want to be wrong. You know, there are some teachers that say, do you want to be happy or do you want to be right? Right? Do you want to be right or happy? Well, I want to be happy. And for that, that means that I need to listen to you. You had a great opening right now for the podcast to say you, you, you listen, you find your own biases, your own learning opportunities. Well, not everybody has that reference point or that approach. And when, when, when you're trying to explain something, when I'm trying to explain something, it might sound like I'm better than you or Latinos are better than filling the blank, whatever, whoever is listening. And that's not the point. It's like, this is who I am. Please tell me who you are and let's talk about it so we can understand each other because that way, that's the way we're going to um, build something better and be more effective and efficient with our resources, work, economy, you name it. That is important. But yes, there's some resistance from different reference points. It's interesting because it's, I mean, it's so ingrained in white supremacy culture and the culture by definition, it's like, it's not written, it's not codified, it's just is, you know? And it's like slicing someone in half to change culture sometimes. And, and, 
And I've noticed this before with little things, like I'll be walking down the street or walking in the hospital when I used to walk in the hospital and I'd see someone and they would say hi and I would avert my eyes. Like this demure, like, oh, like I don't know what conditioning it is, but it was literally, it felt physically impossible for me to like, I'd say hi and smile, but I would have this weird note. That's gotta be something cultural that I've picked up along the way. No one explicitly taught me that. And then differences between, you know, how uh, body space, you know, body, uh, boundaries of, of body space are totally different in different cultures. And it feels if you're in a place that is different from yours, it feels like an assault almost on your senses. So then to be asking people to go against this culture, which is no one wants to call it white supremacy culture, but that's what it is. It's a challenge to go in there and, and challenge that without having them feel like they're being sliced. Yes. Down the middle. I hear you. And honestly, I, even though I want to build a better world and I have a positive outlook on, on the opportunity that we have, I think there are going to be some people that I will, that don't, that will never, that don't want to change, that want things to stay the way they are and, and not build something new and better. You know, they are comfortable where they are. And as you say, but I think you touched something very, very important that it's this cultural, how we get our cultural ideas. And, and I see that in the US, we all agree that we are a multicultural community. Everybody, I have never found someone that I asked, do you think we're a multicultural country? And say, no, no, yes, we are. But at the same time, we see culture as the color of our skin, our language, our food and music, basically. Mm -hmm. And that's just the tip of the iceberg of culture. There's, there's a whole massive uh, uh, experience that it's what we don't see, that it doesn't have anything to do with the color of the skin or anything. And it's all of the things that are past ideas, of who we are, our place in the world, et cetera, that are passed from generation to generation subconsciously. Mm -hmm. As you say, nobody tells us that's the way to be or that's, that's what's okay and that's not what's not okay. But we, 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 it gets, it gets, we embody those truths as if, as if it's the same truth. And it's very easy to see it when we go to another country. When we choose to go to another country, we are expecting a, a, a different set of rules, the way people dress, the way people communicate the tone of their voices, their personal space. And, and we kind of know that. But when we talk about multicultures in our own country, we miss that somehow. We think, no, it's just, just a few things and it should be my way. Instead of it should, we should learn about each other cultures so we can make business, for instance, like we would do with someone in France or in Russia or in Africa or in Argentina. We would understand we are different, we belong to different subconscious cultures and perceptions in life, and we need to understand each other. And you see that in before we have, right now we hear a lot about inclusion and diversity and inclusion, but before we started to hear about diversity and inclusion, organizations had whole departments on globalization and the experts in cultures, but not within our country. 
it's like in that that white culture that it's subconscious would be the accepted one and the rest were niches where where i don't know not important i would say and and we see that we adapted to that for us to you see that in different in different subcultures in the united states that to to belong to a boardroom for instance the acceptable culture is white yeah right and so and so usually we had to adapt to that and what we're trying to do because we're not longer a niche or we have a voice which is so important um then then we can can i be myself and that's that's a problem with the workforce today you know the workforce is is multicultural and 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 research shows that they're that they're gravitating towards companies that where they feel understood and that where they can be themselves I'm, I'm, I'm having this like aha moment with the globalization thing. So, <laughs> so is that, so was global, is globalization like code for um, white saviorism kind of? Like was globalization an attempt to bring whiteness out to other cultures or was it actually an attempt to understand other cultures, do you think? Like what was it actually, what was it supposed to be and what was it in reality? I'm, I'm, yeah, well, that's a that's a very interesting question. My my guess is that it depends on the on the time in history, right? Sure. I mean, globalization when you have the Roman Empire was about Romans. When you had the you know Middle Eastern uh, strength, you know, just it, it was not white necessarily, but you know, it's there's a human component there that we try to impose our power into other cultures again we come back to this i'm right you know i'm right i'm better and this is the way we need to do things i think that with with this new globalization that we have in business and i may go back to business because i think it's the way to see this cultural nuances in black and white <laughs> and, I, and i'm saying like like in facts you know are not emotional reactions or you should be nice but this is good for for everyone you know inclusion is good for everyone it yields better results in business and in well-being for everyone and i think now that we have technology and everything people are understanding that our differences and the need for this cultural intelligence, that it's currency. It's, it's, it, it, it's basically currency. You know, people everywhere in the world, I would say, raise your hand if you don't wanna be happy. How many hands would be raised? None. Now, the way that we're happy is different in each culture. What makes someone in China happy might not be the same that what makes someone in Mexico happy or, you know, so the way we get there is different or what we think will make us happy is different. And we're learning to do that as we navigate different cultures. We need to see what is your language and I'm not referring to a actual language, but what is the language of you? How do you perceive the world? Right. Yeah. So but yes, but yes, I think there's usually a dominant a dominant culture and right now it's quite yeah i was just on the society for human resources management website because uh Maisha and i have gotten our 
our online conscious anti-racism course approved for professional development credits for, for SHRM. Yay. So I'm on there and it's like, you know, what are the different categories and, and how does this pertain? And I saw the globalization thing and I was like, hmm, I wonder what that is. And it's just so interesting that you're bringing that up today and giving a cultural context to that. And I feel like I'm glad that's shifting. <laughs> I'm glad. And, and wondering now also how much dominant culture gets woven into DEI and why it's so important to have perspectives like yours in that space. Yes, it's important. You, you know what, it's very funny because even though there's a resistance and if I say there's a dominant culture and people feel sometimes they don't wanna give up that dominant position that is privilege, um, research shows also that when people communicate are, and are more empathetic with another group, they are happier. They become happier, wealthier, uh, more fulfilled, less, less afraid. You know, those universal things wow. that, that are real happiness, they increase. So I think as we continue with these conversations and we continue to be open to, to more empathy among different cultures, among different groups, we will see that results are good for ourselves. Yeah. And for, for the whole. So I know you do a lot of um, work, you're in the yoga and mindfulness space as well, and you have this beautiful festival. She, Patricia lives in Athens, Georgia, which is about an hour away from Atlanta, the Peace and Unity Festival, which I'd love to talk a little bit about. And I, I'd also love to talk about how you balance unity and inclusiveness with um, whitewashing. And, and- With what? Whitewashing, like with, with, oh. with um, assimilation and losing one's, own unique customs and culture and, and the, the beauty of difference. So I, I'd love to hear how you navigate that in the work you do in the corporate space and also in the, um, in the wellness space, because the wellness space does tend to be, I'm very much familiar with this, very much like we're all one thing, but that one thing is whitewashed <laughs> and it, it doesn't account for lived experience of other people. Um, and I've been guilty of that myself completely as a, as a white meditation teacher. I'm, I'm working to try to get myself out of that. So how do you, how do you balance those two truths? And, and you and I have talked about holding space for multiple lived experiences in this world. So I'd love to get your thoughts on that. I think a key to, to that is personal, pers personal work. You know, your, each one of us, understanding who we are, what, what makes us tick, what are our biases, as you said, what are the things that we enjoy naturally, our nature in general, and being authentic. I think that doesn't have to be lost to relate to someone who is different. Yeah. And, and that authenticity is self-respect and it's, and it's, um, and it's, it's, it's being okay with who we are to the point that we can recognize we're wrong because it doesn't speak about our value. You know, you, you opened my eyes to some things last time we talked, for instance. And if I feel like, no, I don't want to be wrong because then I'm going to be less than that, I cannot see that. But if I'm rooted and grounded in my, in, in my, 
in the deeper part of myself, let me put it that way, I can hear that. And I said, oh my gosh, I, I can't, and I can do, I mean, I'm not saying this from a white horse. I mean, sometimes I, you know, it's like a month later that I go like, oh my gosh, <laughs> I was sure about this and I'm not, but, yeah. but being rooted in your own authenticity and well-being and your intention, that's very important. What is my intention when I talk to you? What is my intention when I make this festival? What is my intention with my client? And cl clearing my intention and not expecting that to give me my self-worth, but, be, but being rooted in my own allows me to relate to someone else and give them space to be themselves and not lose the, the joy of being myself, right? And, and I think that is very important being, that's why I love mindfulness practices and emotional intelligence and meditation. Um, this, I call them happiness practices, <laughs> you know? This, 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 it's like little labs where we can learn when we lose ourselves, when we are ourselves, when what, what part of ourselves are we projecting, what our intentions are, and like that. And, and if you, I don't know if you want me to talk a little bit about the festival and sure. how, okay, this is, um, we call it Yoga and Peace Festival or Yoga for Unity. And, and it was an idea that came to me, it, it was very, very interesting. So anyway, we ended up being part of the United, United Nations effort for peace. And, um, and so we're really, really, it became a, a big festival. You know, last time I think there were over 500 people attending. Yeah. And the way, the way we, um, we, we, I preaching. So at the, at the festival, we try to show people how unity and peace looks and, and how and model it instead of preaching about it. So instead of talking about how important it is and how we need to, to listen to each other, um, what I try to do is to, to get people from different cultures, from different religions, from different sexual orientations, with different accents, to be at the stage. So everybody has some time with a mic to, to direct. Um, we have 108 intentions, universal intentions like peace and joy and letting go and health and children. So we say for children, for instance, and we make a whole song salutation um, flow in yoga. And then we offer that song salutation for that intention. And so when you have universal intentions, expressed by different groups. You, we have people from the synagogue, people from Christian groups, people from, um, you know, African-Americans, Latinos, immigrants, uh, white women, white men, you name it. We try to have everyone there and people see the collaboration. They see that we all care about the same things. I know it sounds a little, um, a little romantic, but it really does have an impact in, in embodying those principles and not only talking about them. Sure. Unity, yeah. unity requires action and modeling. I think that's where people, where people lose it is, is the unity believing that we're all one thing and like we're all from, you know, energetically we're all one thing, which is 
I believe true, but that's not everyone's lived experience. You know, my lived experience is different from yours is different from every human being that we encounter. And we lose that honoring and we lose that, that, that true difference and, and respecting and, and learning when we just say, oh, we're all one thing. So I love what you're doing, that you're, that you're demonstrating it and you're, you're taking action to demonstrate it rather than just having platitudes. So you're, it sounds like you're really living into, living into the work and providing a really good uh, example. You, you know, Jill, it has saddened me the last few years specifically, but probably for a long, long time it has been happening. The rhetoric that we hear um, about, about preconceived notions of different groups, they, it has an impact on how we see the world. And I think we have the need, there's a need to see how it looks. How, show me how that can be done. You know, and this is a festival that lasts three or four hours, but, but still, you know, it changes our, our, our visual of collaboration and, and it's so joyful. And I think that's the component that sometimes is missing in this. People say, we're gonna have to have this difficult conversation and we're gonna have to, and that in itself puts people on guard, like, <gasps> you know, like, right. like, it's not very inviting. It's like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna be wrong. And instead of saying, we're gonna have an uplifting conversation because this is good at the end, it's good for everyone. I like that, uplifting. And, it, and, and we know that discomfort is not a bad thing, but not everybody knows that. <laughs> and our yeah. human nature, part of our culture is the right to comfort. And so you're right. Like when, when we talk about that, people are gonna panic, even if we like say, oh, comfort's a, you know. Yes, yes, but you know, I think like I look at it in my own life, for instance, like if I'm going to go on a diet, you know, the discomfort of not eating that piece of cake is going to be there, but my higher purpose, my goal is going to make me feel good. Yeah, because I'm not going to have the effect of the sugar and I'm going to have the, the effect of the carbs in my body that makes me more lethargic. So my, so, so my end result is going to be very uplifting. Mm -hmm. even though the discomfort is the path to that. Right. So, so putting that in perspective, I think when we're going to start those conversations, it's good, you know, understanding how this is going to be good for me and, and for my company or for my organization or for my results. That I think um, might, might go a long way when we start these conversations. Yeah, I love that. Well, thank you so much for joining. This is a lot, like so much wonderful and, and uplifting, you know, I think real and, and, and lived experience, but also very uplifting and hopeful. And, and that's not something we always get to hear about uh, in these spaces. So um, how can people find you and work with you? Are, is we, uh, social media websites, how, how can we um, pick up what you're putting down? Sure. Look, I'm going to give you my email address, Patricia at rimastrategy.com, R-I-M-A strategy.com. Okay. And I'm in LinkedIn and, um, and I would love to, to chat with your audience and be of service to this, to this movement that you are, I mean, I'm 100% behind what you're doing because again, it's gonna be better. And I just want to emphasize that, that, that we touched about that is, you know, 
we all have value. So not, I'm not talking about unity, sacrificing anyone, you know, just inclusion is, is the name of the game. And holding the space. There's not, it's not either or. And that's either or is another characteristic of white supremacy culture, the need for it to be one thing or another. And what I love about what you're saying is it's not either or, it's and, and, yeah. and, 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 and all these wonderful ands together. Um, I love that. Are you on um, social media, like, like Instagram or anything like that? Um, yes, Patricia Ramirez Pinckney or Patty Ramirez Pinckney. It's my handle, yes. On which one is that? Well, Facebook and Instagram is Patty. Okay. Patty, Patty Ramirez Pinckney, yes. Perfect. Perfect. All right. Well, Patricia, thank you so much for joining me. And again, um, Rima Strategy is her company and she's doing such incredible work. Are, is, the, is the festival going to happen again this year? Are you, are you well, we, had on? To, we had to stop and we did something online very briefly because of COVID, but um, okay. we were seeing if the, the Botanical Garden is going to be open and then we can go back to life. We is hope there, so. Is there a website? I'm sorry to interrupt you. Is there a website for the festival? Usually you can find the information at the State Botanical Garden of Georgia website. That's where they uh, post all that information. Great. All right, thanks so much. Thank you, Jill. Thank you so much. Hi there. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Conscious Anti-Racism. Please be sure to follow or like us wherever you find your podcasts and also consider leaving a rating or review. You can follow Conscious Anti-Racism on Instagram and Twitter at Jill Wiener, MD, J-I-L-L-W-E-N-E-R-M-D. And please check out our Conscious Anti-Racism book on Amazon.